You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 124. Joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have formerly self-proclaimed professional Asian American, just you. Hello, Marvin. Hey. How's it going? Um, it's going. I'm in the mid- so like I have been obsessed with Facebook Marketplace. It is my new addiction. I Every time I score a deal, it like sends off little reward sensors in my lizard brain. So if anyone's looking for furniture, please let me know. Mm. I will find it for you. Is that like an <laughs> eBay type thing? Or I've never mm. touched any of the um the new yeah, functions. Yeah, just basically. Of yeah, it's like selling. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's it's just it is less creepy than Craigslist. I feel like Craigslist mm-hmm. can never truly shake off. It's like I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna murder you or like remove like your you're baby. Tempting fate, tempting fate every I- time you go on there. I use, when I am looking for stuff, I use Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, and then every now and then Nextdoor. So. Oh, oh Nextdoor. Door. The ra- the most racist social media oh, yeah. app. I yeah. do not need to know have, what my neighbors to, think about my people. <laughs> yeah. The only reason I have it is usually for lost pets. Like, if someone is missing a pet, then I'll go on there. Or if I find a pet. Um, or if like there's a power outage, they're very yeah. Like when me. is the power coming? Is the That's internet true. down? Yeah, yeah. As, but as, why is there a helicopter? Is there a car chase? Helicopter? Why? That's like my yeah, yeah. And as we but, all yeah. know, Han's backyard is the gathering place for all the neighborhood animals in her yes. Yes. area. Yeah, I I read a lot about possums. Um, <laughs> and I was one of those people who updated when the power went out because my um my the power whatever thing got caught on fire in my backyard oh. and it looked like a burning cross so i took a picture of it posted no. it to next door oh so, my god yeah that's very intense yeah, <laughs> did you post which of you did this to me <laughs> who's I, the racist uh, but anyway <laughs> so yeah but other than that i usually just mute it and like only check it when i need it so. <sighs> also joining us as you've already heard <laughs> the most professional of culture editors Hanwin. Hi. Hey, Han. How is it? Are you still in? Is Critics Week still happening? I, I've lost track no, of like it. It, it finally ended. <laughs> finally. Um, I'm still dealing with TCA stuff. Like I, I promised to start some sort of group and I never did. Um, mm. But yeah, the, the panels are ended and we are very much pushing for in person for winter, which means January. So hopefully you won't hear me talking about this until a few more months. I won't hold my breath. <laughs> yeah. Everything happens. Yeah. Well, this week we're talking about things that happen again, figuratively, of course. We took a look at the first six episodes of Hulu's Reboot, the new workplace show within the show comedy, starring Rachel Bloom, Paul Reiser, um, Krista Marie Yu, um, Keegan-Michael Key. Judy Greer, and whoever plays Zach. <laughs> and whoever plays Zach. Exactly. I am so sorry, Zach. <laughs> Johnny Knoxville, uh, too, in yeah. a non-jackass role. Which I'm actually really, really enjoying. So um, I know Jess already talked about it a couple of weeks ago on her What's Poppin'. And we're going to go in more depth um, after the break. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is beginning us through this week. Uh, Jess, what's poppin'? So I have Netflix has finally premiered, uh, at least stateside, the final and fourth season of Dairy Girls, the mm. North Irish uh, com- coming of age comedy following four uh, girls in high school and their and the one guy who always gets lumped in with them. He's a cousin um, and growing up in 90s North Ireland during the Troubles, which, you know, for us uneducated Americans was when like the Catholic and Protestant uh, sides were warring in North Ireland and it was very dangerous. Uh, Kenneth Branagh made a movie set around this time as well, or like a little bit earlier about his childhood. Um, but it is a comedy. It's very funny mm. in the same vein as like Never Have I Ever, uh, you know, kind of antics and very like loud, messy, horny group of gal pals. Uh, the adults in this show, their parents are also very funny. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's it's always bittersweet for you know british uk comedies where 
it's uh you know you, they they do like short runs and like two or three seasons and it's like it's over <laughs> but like this show too much but like that just really means every season's really good um and uh the the first episode starts off with a really great cameo with Liam Neeson playing a police chief wow uh, he's a big fan of the show he's also north irish and um, yeah, and it stars Nicola Coughlin, who people might know from Bridgerton. She plays Penelope, and she plays a very, very different character in this. She's so good. She's so funny. Uh, I actually like her a lot more in Dairy Girls because she kind of gets to play mm-hmm. to a lot of her like comedic strengths. She's not a wallflower, um, and she's kind of like this very high-strung, anxious, goody-two-shoes who gets is like the most nervous about getting dragged into the antics. And I always classify sitcoms as or comedies as everything goes good well or everything is okay or everything goes poorly before the reset and this is definitely a everything goes poorly for them show <laughs> but you know inevitably inevitably it's it's okay but man like i think the first the first episode they get tricked into helping burglarizing their own school not the smartest bunch of gals um but that's where a lot of the fun stuff comes from <laughs> Yeah, I haven't caught this season yet. Um, I'm sort of saving it up, but um, I think it's one of those things that people have all, often called out that it's one of the few comedic things that have been made about the Troubles. So and it's not all tragedy, uh, but yeah, yeah and, so that's and, why it's and, so smart. And it's just a very, you know, it's really great, well-written, you know, uh, it, roles for like young, about young women. And it is created, it was created by a woman. Um, and you, you kind of get to see the full messy breath of like, puberty and like adolescence you know that no one is like the object of no one's like the perfect teen like MacGuffin girl they're all they're all hot messes it's great um and and just it's just really funny I really like and really sad that it's ending yeah I mean I feel like because it is a high school show it had to end at some point because they can't keep playing 18 year olds forever that's very true. And, you know, the college years are never good. Like, I learned that from the WB. Um, and the way you choose to handle it is always different. I, you know, like, do you go through the college and watch the show flounder? Do you just skip it entirely like what yeah. Trino did? You need to start in college. I agree. Once you graduate into college, it's kind of like, I don't know how I feel I mean, the vibes this. are different, right? And, you know, I haven't watched Dairy Girls since season one, so I have... Excited to catch up with the last three seasons, but I did appreciate that even though it takes place during a time of unrest, you know, kids are still kids. Teens are still dumb teens and they oh, still do yeah. dumb stuff. Yes. I mean, they don't really care about this shit. It's just like, <laughs> oh, like there was a bombing. We got to like take the traffic on the other bridge. It's going to be like crap. Um, but, you know, they're just worried about like concerts and boys and going to the school dance. And the soundtrack is fantastic because it's set in the 90s. <laughs> Um, so a lot of Spice Girls. Um, I think they start off the entire show with like a cranberry song, you know? I was gonna say a lot of cranberries. Right? You have to have <laughs> a lot cranberries. of cranberries. Mm-hmm. Yes. R.I.P. Um, and it's, it's really good. You should watch it. If you haven't, it's on Netflix. All four seasons are literally available. The UK got it like months before us. They got it in like this summer and I've just been like waiting so long for it to finally hit. I mean, they get all the good stuff. Did we ever get the latest Starstruck yet or... Are we still waiting on that? Yeah, the, we did. Um, it, it was just one of those things that just kind of went under the radar. It was mm. so weird. But, um, yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Another thing you need to catch up on. Um, yeah, Han, what's popping? Okay, so I'm giving an update on, like, the K-drama stuff I've been catching up on. But I have a theme this week so that because I was like, I can't talk about, like, four things. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to talk about is one K-drama and one YA book. And both of them have a sort of behind-the-scenes look at making K-dramas. Um, so the YA book is by Lila Lee, and it's called Flip the Script. And it's about a Korean-American girl who goes to Korea to be an actress in a K-drama. And she's 16, um, and she is bi. And um, there are just uh, she her co-star is like a boy band member and um, there's a love triangle, but not one you would expect. Uh, hence, flip the script. Um, and there's also other things that go on. Um, but what I liked about the behind the scenes thing is um, Lila Lee has actually worked in Hollywood in various roles. So she I think she um, 
She has some insight into things. Of course, they are not made the same way as American TV shows. But one of the things that she creates a lot of tension with is that um, the way this particular show is shot is that um, they only shoot a couple episodes and then they edit it and make it go live. So they can change the plots as they go along, depending on how the audience is reacting. And that plays a big part in the drama in this uh, story. So I thought that was cleverly done. I don't, I don't know how I feel about the protagonist. They felt a little bit, I don't know, earnest, but one-dimensional. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, and then the second one is a show I very much enjoyed called Because This Is My First Life. Um, it is a contract marriage <laughs> show which yes. is, yeah I love that shit um and I and it's a contemporary one so I'm always curious on how people do that for a contemporary um plot line um I also found like like one of my favorite you know k-drama actors now Lee uh Ling Ming Ki um he's very mu- much my type um very, sort of smoldering but also like has has a lot of troubles you know this oh character. so much trouble there's an excellent cat in it Cat plays a very big part of the show. Um, and, you know, also I found out uh, the protagonist, Jung So Min, who I will get to in a short bit, but she's actually very good. So I'm actually going to check out some of her other stuff. But where the behind the scenes K-drama stuff comes in is that she plays a character um, hold on, named uh, Jiho. And she is an assistant writer on dramas. And... Um, so she gets kind of like the crap writing assignments, which means she's writing in all the product placement, <laughs> which if you've watched a K-drama like, I, you know, recently, especially um, the way they work in these these product placements are not subtle. <laughs> so are we talking about Subway here uh, and they're everywhere. And so it's just it's hilarious. So you see like a super cut of some of the drama she's worked in and you can see like the really romantic, dramatic moment. And all of a sudden he's like eating something or something like that. So that is at the beginning. Um, There's not so much of behind the scenes later on because it focuses on their relationship. Um, But, you know, she does uh, go through the process of being in, I guess, the Hollywood in in Korea Um, and talking a little bit about what's what's going on there as far as the atmosphere goes. And it is very patriarchal. And they talk about patriarchy quite a bit in this show, which I thought was interesting. So um, those are my two recommendations. If you want a little bit more sort of like depth when it comes to how you think about K-dramas, um, this is a little bit about how the sausage is made. That's um, It's interesting that your what's popping involves like Korea talking about patriarchy because it's almost like Disney making a show about corporate overreach and imperialism. I was shocked. Yes, because there are (laughs) definitely some K-dramas where I'm just like, okay, I need to like turn off my, you know, my feminism. here. (laughs) 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 So so I feel like, you know, there was a reason why I was drawn to certain ones, you know, over other ones and definitely more contemporary ones um, like in the last year or two have uh, more of that reflected. Yeah. And when I talk about Disney making a show about um, corporate overreach and imperialism, I'm, of course, talking about Andor, which is a show about corporate <laughs> overreach and imperialism and Irony. rebellion. Um, and that's what's popping for me because this past. So we're six episodes in for this first season. And this last episode was a banger. And it's just been bangers all throughout. Um, I don't know if either of you have started the show yet. Um, they're doing something really interesting where... They're telling the story in three-episode chunks. So every three episodes, it's its own arc. So for the first six episodes, it's like we've watched two different movies. So the first movie, like I mentioned before, was is about you know, Andor trying to get away because he you know just you know killed two cops in, in an alley and they're coming to crack down. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, Derry Goes in the Troubles because um, something interesting that the Gilroy brothers, Dan and Tony, are doing um, with this show is I guess a generous reading would be that they want to talk about imperialism, but they kind of also want to stay in their lane. So they they haven't been telling imperialism in terms of like indigenous, like colonial stories, but in terms of stories of like British imperialism on like in the United Kingdom. So in the first three episodes, they actually invoke a lot of the imagery of the troubles during the scenes where the cops are cracking down on the neighborhood. And in mm. these last three episodes, um, episodes four through six, they invoke the Highland Clearances of Scotland. <clears throat> so 
I think what's been really cool about the show so far, and I, we're going to talk about it, it more in depth uh, later on, um, probably after the first season ends, is it's just such a different type of show. It's like the most dense I, writing. I saw, like, I saw somewhere where someone was like, what if Star Wars had the dare to have good dialogue? <laughs> that is Andor. I know. And, you know. There's a lot of people complaining that they feel like it's slow, that nothing happens. Mm. But that's what happens when you have scenes where characters talk to each other with like motivations behind their words and their their scenes when you develop character yeah and so um so these last three episodes is about andor's first job with as like a mercenary working for like a a rebel cell and it's basically a heist and what's interesting is you know if this was mandalorian this would be like an Ocean's Eleven type of thing where mm-hmm. let's get let's build a crew, let's get all these wacky characters together, and each has their own specialty, and we're gonna do this whole thing in one episode. This the way they do it in Andor is it imagine Michael Mann's Heat, but Star Wars. Oh, oh god, sold, sold, <laughs> wow. Because the first okay. two episodes is just coming up the plan, practicing that plan. And like having character moments with each other before talking about their own motivations, why they rebel. There's one character who is like an ideologue. So he's all about like the theory of rebellion. This is the first time in Star Wars history where we actually have a character talking about the theory of resistance in like an intellectual way. It's become self-aware, basically. Yeah. (laughs) We love that. And it basically culminates in episode six, which actually shows the heist. And let me tell you, this is the most tense I've ever been watching Star Wars. Like Star Wars is all about like boom, boom, spectacle, cool sword fights. You never feel tense, right? You never, you never worry about the characters, except maybe during Rogue One, when you start to realize. But, where I mean, you know what's gonna happen <laughs> in Rogue One, so yeah, you know, different kind of tense, different kind of drama. But um, you've both seen Heat, right? Yeah, a while ago, though. So you know about like how when they're in the heist, it's like they're following the plan that you know that they set. And you're just wondering, will they pull it off or when will things break bad? And there's that tension the entire time. This whole episode was that tension. And when it does that break bad, very it breaks stressful. bad. Um, but then it also has the most beautiful like space escape scene you've ever seen in Star Wars too. It's amazing. You guys definitely. I know. I need to start. I, I'm kind of like waiting so I can just like bam, 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 knock it out. Because my um, three-year subscription to Disney Plus ends in, like, November. Mm. So yeah. I'm just like, oh, I should, yeah, I should watch some things before. And I think that's so, the thing. I don't think this is a series you can bang, bang, bang. Because it's so dense. Like, the amount of uh, story that these six episodes cover is basically more, probably more writing than, like, all of the previous Star Wars series combined. Like, Obi-Wan wishes it could be this dense. LOL. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, definitely has more dialogue than Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're different things, right? Mandalorian is a Western adventure. Yeah. But I am reminded of, there's so, the high sequence in the last episode is just so intricately paced. And I couldn't help but compare it to, there's a similar scene in Obi-Wan. I don't, I don't know if you guys have watched Obi-Wan, where they have to infiltrate an Imperial base to mm-hmm. rescue someone. And, you know, instead of showing you, like, the steps they do to plan the rescue, it just happens. Mm-hmm. And then... Mm-hmm. They escape with like the person underneath the coat, walking through all these stormtroopers, and it's like, you know, it's kind of what a difference like actual scripting makes, right? What 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 a difference actual writing makes, where things actually make sense in the order that it happens. Um, but yeah, um, Endor is still great. Um, I think if you enjoy, in my opinion, the good new Star Wars is, which is things like Rogue One, Last Jedi. You will love this show because it's doing what those directors are, were trying to do. If you're in it for the bang bang, I think you'll still like it. <laughs> um, maybe just you know stick with it because there's a lot of talking. It is a slow burn, but it's good filmmaking, <laughs> and I can't stress that enough. I feel like if you don't like Star Wars but you enjoy like Michael Mann, Tony Gilroy, like those types of shows, this is that. Like Corbia espionage, yeah, espionage, and plus heist films, heists, crime, like. Shows about low level. Do you like people. crime, Marvin? Do you like crime? <laughs> and if you, I, I actually do love movies. Do you about crime. love crime mm-hmm. and hate empires. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I that's like crimes true. to topple empires for sure. Yes, we. Yes, ex- <laughs> thank you, huh? That is perfectly worded. Because one thing that this show does really well is to portray like the normal people who work in empires 
they're just doing their jobs, but they suck because they don't think about it. It's like you're just cogs in, in the fascist machine, and it makes no illusions on like how we should feel about them, which is I mean, interesting that's like, because that's like the Nazi thing right like i was just taking orders yeah, like which, still a nazi which is interesting because i feel like this show has become a litmus test to like how tolerant you are of fascism because there are a disturbing amount of people who are like i don't know why everyone hates the cop character so much he's just trying to solve the murder of his co-workers because he's a cop <laughs> uh, he's just trying to solve the murder of his co-workers oh, also diego luna Still very. I yeah. know he's so pretty. I, I didn't him. realize that they got both of them on Disney mm-hmm. Plus this week. Yep, because uh, um, with the Werewolf by Night. Yeah, so I need to catch that too. <laughs> I'm so behind. There's too much TV. That's <laughs> why I'm spending is. all my time watching K dramas that have nothing to do with my work. Um, yeah, it's like I need a break from TV. I'm gonna watch K dramas. Yeah, yeah, that's basically basically what it. I'm doing. Yeah. That was my um, first thought yes. when I saw that Gael Garcia Bernal was on World Fight Night. Yes. Like, does, does Jess know about this? When is the crossover happening? <laughs> I am not even aware. I've been in like a weird like hole recently. Um, so yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about this. We'll, yeah. we'll, <laughs> Your Itumama Tambien boys are all on Disney+. Yep. Plus. Uh, get them back together. <laughs> yeah. Let me join them. <laughs> yes. All right. Speaking of, I guess this is, I guess it's a segue. Speaking of oh, Diego no. Luna and... Gael Garcia. No, bad segue. We have to no, talk. no. You stop, Marvin. You stop <laughs> right ha- there. We have to talk about Mexico Week, um, Great British Break Off. Oh boy, that was a terrible. I I really <laughs> want to do the thing like when I do the chowder. I'm like no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, we did briefly touch on it last week, uh, bracing ourselves for it, and it's just so bad because it was still worse. It was so much yeah. worse than we thought it would be. Because in some ways, they didn't try to be overtly racist like how they are. You know, they still were. Yes. Are we sure? Are no, we no. sure? I'm pretty I, I sure. Think, no, what I think is they tr- they tried to make jokes that wouldn't be specific. And yet, they still were really bad about how... I mean, this is the thing. It's like if you have a show that doesn't understand that, you know, your country created colonialism, <laughs> you know... Perfected and- it. Yeah, basically, you know, franchised it. Um, and and then they still have not, no matter how many times we have said this across the seasons, like get an expert it, from that country and that cuisine or whatever to show up. They don't. They just don't. They don't care. And and I feel like a lot of it, because some people are talking about how the differences is especially when it comes to Mexico or Mexican cuisine that America has a stronger understanding of it and so most people were horrified watching it here but like over in the UK they had no clue so I was just like that's well, not an excuse though. it's not it's not but they also just don't give a fuck yeah like- and, then, <laughs> and I understand the reason why they don't have experience with Mexican food is because they didn't actually colonize Mexico that was the Spanish no, that was the Spanish yes but that shouldn't I mean you know I what? feel like if you're going to, the whole point, or at least for me, the whole point of Great British Break Off is a pleasant show. British. Where you inclusive. Don't need to think about things like right. imperialism. It's like, why don't they just, why don't they just keep up with the same, like the, 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 the time periods, like British Tudors or British yeah. Victorian. Stay like in that your was lane, guys. fine. Stay in Europe. Maybe, you know what? But um, we did learn why. It's because Paul Hollywood spent a weekend there. Yeah, I, I, I was very glad to hear once again, just like with Japan, that he had traveled there. And so now he's an expert. Um, it's like, it's like, and also like the way they say, like, ta- taco, like I can't even. Tacos. Pico like, de fully, Gallio. Pico de Gallio. Like, <laughs> like wrap my head around how they like pronounce some things. Pandolce. Like, like, like ta- taco, well, taco. Also, it's just like. You could tell that Prue had no clue about anything. It was like, oh, you very much, you know, honored Mexico with all your colorful cakes. It's like, that's all she could say. It was like, it's colorful. These guys can Uh, barely take any spice as it is. Why are they doing mm -hmm. Mexican food? Yeah, yeah. I can't believe that tacos was their their challenge. That's that's not even baking, baking, right? That's not baking. I did love, so I had this working theory that I was like, okay, the more melanin, I think the better they're going to do. And it was kind of right. 
Uh, like Maxie seemed to know how to make a taco. Uh, Shabira was like real pissed that they didn't give her a tortilla press. Tortilla. She was like, fair. She's like, very fair. Okay. But she was like, how the fuck do I make it without a press? That's yeah. what her face yeah. said. And I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, fair. Fair enough. Um, yep. I mean, Sandro's Brazilian, right? That's his. That's Sandro. His. Yeah. yeah. But that's not Mexican. They I don't know. eat tacos there. But I feel like he should have known better than to slap a mustache on his final cake. That was pretty bad. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is all hope of this being like minimally offensive went out the window when the show literally they started opens with Noel and Matt in ponchos uh, and the sombrero. Yeah. And, you know, like I can forgive the bakers for not knowing what the hell they were doing because fair. Like, you, sure. Like, yeah. yeah. Why you would guys, they? You, are, you guys probably only know tacos, right? Yeah. But, man, it felt it like if like the first two episodes were actually pretty good. They were doing good challenges. They were challenging them. Um, but then this one, it felt like it reverted back to that. What was that one season where everything was a was a nailed it challenge? Because they were the, the one where oh they had God. to make a bust cake. Yeah, yeah that was because the so contestants bad. were all set up to fail. Like that first uh-huh. challenge, they weren't given enough time for enriched dough. Um, the second challenge was a cooking challenge, where the taste has to do with how well you cook that meat and season it, which is not the same skill not set. Nope. And I mean the third, it, the third challenge. You know that it, that was more. Yeah, it's why like so many seasons on Top Chef, when there's like a dessert challenge, people are like, "Oh no." They are two different skill sets. Yeah. So why are they making savory foods? I understand when they make a pastry that has a savory element in it, but it's not necessarily like the main element, which a taco it was. Yeah. Like and 70% of it is meat. <laughs> <laughs> and you can definitely tell some of these people have never opened an avocado before. Oh, oh my God. Oh the my way God. she was the peeling, peeling the avocado. <laughs> That was great. That was, oh, that was actually kind of great. <laughs> I was I mean, glad that the last yeah. challenge was a tres leches challenge. I think that was fitting. That Although was fine. the idea to make it a, a tiered tier tres, tres leches, leches was a, that's wild. A yeah. good tres leches is, is cannot structurally support right. anything. Else. It's, it's, a, it's a soggy cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was ill conceived, despite the actual good flavor idea. So. Um. Yeah. So at least it wasn't trying to grasp a concept like kawaii. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't trying to grasp a. Con- yeah. Fair enough. I just. Yeah. Oh boy. GBBO producers, you're probably not listening to this podcast, um, and but you probably don't care about say, what we yeah. say. But if you're gonna do, just get an expert. Yeah. God or at the very least do those little segments they used to produce with Mel and yes. Sue where you talk about like here's how you make history. pan dulce yes give actual oh, history God, I don't, don't want to Hollywood I don't know. know about sending Matt Lucas out doing a cultural no, piece no 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 no, no, no. I think it should be pre-written <laughs> and it just narrated you know like it with the actual you know People star making of it. it yes yeah. exactly that being said I am still rooting for our girl Sabira um, yes I think. she's great still I love that she is still fearless in the face of Mr. Hollywood. Um, just like giving him all the flavors that he can't handle. Her bread was so cute. And I was like, I mm-hmm. fucking love sweet corn. Yes. Um, like what the, the fuck they were was like shit for that decision. I was like, what are you yeah. talking about? Like make sweet sense. corn. Yeah. yeah. And it was also like, has no one had corn that's sweet? I just didn't know. Of course of they haven't. It's just so bizarre. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. All right. Well. I don't, well, <laughs> GBBO lives on. We'll still watch it because we're broken and we need this in our lives. Um, just do better. Do better. So broken. So <laughs> broken. All right. Um, that's what's popping for this week. When we come back, we're talking about Reboot. Podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. 
Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. This week we're talking about the new Hulu original series Reboot, um, created by Steve Levitan, who, um, he's the modern family guy, right? I'm getting that right? Yes. Um, it's this new show, which is about a reboot of a fictional, I think, early 2000s sitcom about a mixed family that blended family (laughs) the mix has different connotations marvin (laughs) though they are mixed but i think you mean blended right because it's a step family right yes it's a stepchild Mm -hmm. and uh the the um the dad the biological dad and the stepdad so you know it's like step by step but with a black guy (laughs) Yes. Right. I don't yes. remember step by step. Was that was that the same plot or am I mixing was, up my ninety sitcoms? I, I no, I think you're right. I think it is a step family. It's different from just the ten of us, but they were back to back, right? <laughs> um, and then there was Brady Bunch, of course. Yes, the, the OG classic. blended family yes. classic. It it oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking about Sound of Music also for some reason. Anyway. I mean, yes, technically also. <laughs> <laughs> but there are no other kids. They're just right. the yeah, Bond Trap kids. Anyway. So the story is about um, Rachel Bloom's character, Hannah, who is a writer fresh off a South by Southwest um, award-winning run with her indie film, who's given free reign to do whatever she wants at Hulu. Um, She's a very edgy filmmaker, and I hesitate to even say the name of her movie that she did, but but it it, it was so edgy that that's what they thought they were getting. And instead, she pitches this story. (laughs) She pitches a reboot of a 2000s sitcom called Step It Up, um, starring, um, and she wants to, it's not, it's funny because it's not actually a reboot. It's a revival, right, of the show. Yeah. it's a sequel reboot, so all the characters, all the actors are playing the same characters, but, you know, several years, a decade or two right. later. And as with all sitcom casts of that era, a lot of unresolved baggage from within the cast um, that gets brought up again now 15 years later. Um, and then basically that's kind of the show. It's a workplace comedy about the people making the reboot of this show and their unresolved issues with each, with each other. Because the twist is the original showrunner actually comes back to try to take over the show again, um, played by Paul Reiser. And then, yeah, the big twist at the end of the pilot is that he's actually the father of Hannah, the current showrunner. And, and they're estranged. Dun, right. dun, dun. And basically, um, the original show was written about his life as a stepfather, where he conveniently erased the existence of his own biological daughter. So this is like issues all around. It's a family, dysfunctional family sitcom surrounding this dysfunctional family sitcom. And, you know, it's yes. it's a very meta show in the vein of like 30 Rock where, you know, we're following a show within a show. Yeah, and there's always a tension between kind of the actual show we're watching and it's, you know, a little bit more edgy. You know, they're on streaming, they can cuss and the show they're rebooting, which is a little more... Sitcommy, like multi-cam sitcommy, right? 
But because this reboot is on Hulu, they're allowed to be a little more risque. Yeah, there's a lot of layers. I, I always get tripped up every time they film on set or on a lot. Like, like when the set is the lot or when the lot is the set. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, and I, I'm like, oh, they're shoot, they shoot at Fox Studios. You can tell because you could just tell. Um, and I'm just like, because mm-hmm. they're right by Nakatomi Plaza. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they shoot this at Fox, which is a Disney property, which is now owned by, which now owns oh, Hulu. Yes. So I'm like, oh, yes. I, I yes. Lots I, of synergies. I, I love, it's also the show in the show is on Hulu. So it's kind of like when I, we did ask them at press tour, like, did you just, um, why did you decide to set it at Hulu versus like a fictional streaming service? And there, it would basically they didn't have an answer except for why not? <laughs> you know, so. It is. I mean, it is kind of was, funny, and I do. Res- Thirty Rock said NBC. Yeah, I mean, right. They took a NBC. lot of shots yeah. at NBC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I kind of love it when they do that. So, like, I, we've definitely seen, let's say, The Simpsons take pokes at Fox before. Um, so, it th- that was. There's so many things I find enjoyable, and I think all of us having worked lived in Hollywood and so sometimes I do wonder like what plays um out in the real world (laughs) yeah I wonder if how many if like a average person who has like no interest or knowledge working knowledge of like how the industry work like do they get all the jokes I mean yeah do they know like for someone who doesn't know any like actors yeah it it does it play as well right (laughs) Yeah, because they like I think the actory part of it is stuff that maybe the audience is more familiar with. I think um, because of Thirty Rock, maybe there is an understanding of a writers' room. But um, I I think the writers' room is actually my one of my favorite parts of this show because Hannah, you know, uh, brings in her group, which is a very nice inclusive group of younger writers who are, you know, acclaimed. And then her dad brings in all these old fogies, you know, who are used to doing the old school sort of like really cheesy comedy, corny comedy. And, um, but once they find their, hit their stride, I like the interaction between the older generation, younger generation. That's not purely talking about generational differences um, and age things. You know, there's a lot of comparisons of the show to 30 Rock, which is the last like network show to do this type of interaction. But I do like that reboot is a lot more, it's a lot less cynical. I mean, it's still mm-hmm. taking pot shots at the industry and it's still satire. But 30 Rock was kind of mean spirited, right? It's kind of a. Oh, 30 Rock was so mm-hmm. mean and very acidic, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and oh, it has not aged well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Whereas this yeah. show, it's like, you know, Whereas this show, I mean, there's like 30, the 30 Rock writers room would never get along the same way as the mm-hmm. reboot writers room in terms of like getting over difference with each other, right? They would just, that dynamic would just constantly be um, at People odds, like, right? yes, yes. I mean, they, the 30 Rock group liked each, like the characters in the 30 Rock were arguably work friends and they were still super mean to each mm-hmm, other mm-hmm. they were just awful people all of them awful yeah people. which i think was the point of the show but i think yeah. the core of this is still a steve levithan leviathan show levitan levitan <laughs> levitan leviathan i mean he he's a leviathan with the amount of money he sure. makes am i right sure. ladies um so you know i think there is still the core of that and i think to me that's um I'm interested to see where the show goes in the long run because I can see that push and pull of him like almost reflected what the, the what the conflict of the artistic conflict of the show within the show. I also kind of see that in the show itself. Yeah. I, if that made sense. There's a lot of layers. Sure. And I, I think what also sets it apart, like you're saying from 30 Rock, is I don't necessarily think it's mean-spirited. I think because the central relationship is this daughter trying to sort of re... Uh, re- up her relationship with her father that that plays out in the business but also there's a lot of kind of like oh once you get to know someone um in this cast or whoever then you find a little bit of their humanity so i think there's some charming moments uh that balance out the yeah 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 i like that at its core all of the characters there hasn't been any characters that are just there to be a foil or just there to be evil right even like the executives Mm -hmm. are kind of nice in, for for the most part um you know there's no jack donaghy like 
caricature of the corporate machine. Um, you know, um, I mean, I gotta say, Rachel Bloom is giving off some like Liz Lemon vibes with like her glasses uh-huh. and frumpiness, uh-huh. but the her character is a lot more well adjusted, I guess, than Liz mm-hmm. Lemon ever was. I yeah, I I think the other thing I like, uh, similar in ways to Thirty Rock, is that um, despite Hulu being a real series, they have created a whole bunch of fake. Uh, TV shows and other products around uh, the the series, and so my favorite is a show called Fuck Buddy Mountain. Oh my god, I love <laughs> Fuck Buddy Mountain. So, so the first time we kind of hear about it is one of the uh, participants of Fuck Buddy Mountain, which I assume is like a cross between F Boy Island and something in a snowstorm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and uh, is one of those people is uh, cast on the show, and so it you sounds get to hear like. Fuckboy Island that. meets like yeah Survivor Man, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's Survivor, it, but yes. with a lot of sexy people. Um, yeah, but yeah. So I, I was just excited to hear more about that, and they do actually delve into it a little bit more in one episode. Um, yes, that was one of my favorite parts because you know there's they're accusing the actress who was cast from that reality program of using the same like shady Tactic. tactics as she did but like the recount that johnny knoxville does like oh yeah she used the thong of 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 like immunity. survival to, of immunity <laughs> he's like what the thong of survival like remember like and like did you really think i wanted to snow uh was it right a snowmobile topless yeah and like yeah i was like i would watch this show so yes. hard yes it reminded me of when you guys talked about stuff like love island yeah, Love Island and F Boy Island have like similar vibes. And I think it was in Four Weddings and a Funeral that Minnie Kaling also did her version, which was oh, Love Chalet. Love Chalet, which is also <laughs> in the snow. Yeah. Because they're usually in it. tropical places, yes. Marvin. So you could be in skimpy outfits. And that's why everyone has the little belt, mic belt, because yes. it won't fit, it won't stay on a bikini. But it's really funny to put a bunch of skimpily dressed people in a snowy environment. <laughs> Um, I gotta say, um, like I, I know Jess, you came on last time and talked about how, how how funny the show actually is, and like I was not expecting to be this funny. I, I actually laughed a lot of, uh, quite a few times during the first six episodes. Very high jokes per minute for sure. Yes. It is a very dense comedy, and it works. I think we're also. You guys sound like like. <laughs> like the, guys this is like what comedies are supposed to be like. i know you We're know so there's the bad comedies <laughs> well no you know it's just like it was very cool it is very cool to do the 30 minute like straight like moody like mm-hmm. dramedy like yeah. is it really funny or is it just like you know like the Dark. atlantas yeah. and the, yeah. <laughs> and i'm just like no like regular sitcoms should you should be getting like a laugh every 10 seconds usually um but yeah it's nice to go back to that in this time and right the, now and the irony that the, this exact conversation we're having is the exact plot point of like episode three of this yes. series is not lost on me. Yeah. Which, yes. <laughs> I, I good. And which was the episode where the two writing room generation were clashing about what makes a comedy. Cause mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting what the young people were, t- were talking about, which is like a, a, a tongue cheek, like um, yeah. subtle comedy. And then versus like the older stick. people who want more of like broad and uh, yeah. physical comedy more broad and more more jokey and much like much like much like how the writers room got together the show does hit a pretty good balance of both of them and maybe i'm just old but like i was raised i raised myself on like nick at night rerun so i have a real soft spot for those like traditional sitcoms like i'm sorry but every time like someone falls on three's company i'm laughing it doesn't always work for me, but I do have that affection for those shows. I Now that I'm thinking about it, because we were talking about Nick and Knight, is the Dick Van Dyke show also had a writer's room. Um, and they wrote about stuff, but definitely wasn't quite as uh, acerbic <laughs> and critique as as this. But um, yeah, I, I also like the fact that it is a multicam, that it is a single cam show. About a multicam about the, show. Yeah, about a multicam. And so you get to see them shoot that multicam stuff. And that kind of takes me back because when I used to work at Carsey Werner and I would go to set a lot. And um, it just, there's a different vibe. And it's kind of bizarre because then you have the warm-up guy, which you also see here. Um, and just the sets that are always on one side. 
you know <laughs> so um yeah i enjoyed that but also made me feel a little weird <laughs> and it does help that this show has an amazing cast that's can pull off both the the, the um both both styles of comedy yeah actors like keegan michael key um rachel bloom um johnny knoxville who is like the king of like he's probably there just was- for his physical comedy I was I'm very surprised him. that he's very good in this role. Like <laughs> I, I forget that he also like act act sometimes because mm-hmm. yeah. he's so you know tied to Jackass and that whole brand. Um, and he's he's very funny as kind of like the like rough around the edges actor, seen tough times. Um, yeah, and Judy Greer yeah. is great as like oh, I the love main Judy actress. Greer. Yeah. She's always good, and I'm just so happy for her to have this role. But yeah, uh, I was also. Unexpected. Uh, I know you mentioned it before, but Johnny Knoxville's gray hair. <laughs> it's kind of working, isn't it? Right? Huh? Like, it's, it's, doing, it's doing something. <laughs> I was just doing something. Like, what's going on here? And why do I feel this way? Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's just, I don't know, enjoyable time. I, I'm wondering where it's going, and I'm kind of happy not trying to predict. I, I feel like we can probably predict a few beats, but. Um, other than that, I'm just like, just, just can't come at me. Yeah. Can I talk about one beat I really hope does not happen? Oh, yeah. Uh, the potential burgeoning romance between Zach and... Ew. That yes. is... <laughs> and, um... Agreed. And Elaine. Elaine. Elaine? Played like, by Chris no. Marie, you, who... She is way too cute for him. He's such a loser. Like, sorry, Zach, yeah, but like, we, we want do you better know any executive? Elaine. No executive is going to be dating... Like a child actor, like sorry, no, no, she's a VP. He's the chief, but she's also a tech executive playing the role of a comedy executive, which I love. Which is fair because that is very true. This is what happens now. But yeah, I love that beat where she became the the VP of comedy at Hulu because because of of all the acquisitions, (laughs) series of mergers. Yes, yeah, and and that's something that I think we can enjoy. Maybe the broad audience may not like follow that like but we think about this all the time how netflix started out as a dvd company and how in the world did they become a producer of content and a streaming service and amazon is a shopping you know (laughs) site and then somehow it got into content also it's just all of these things are bizarre yeah Uh, i do enjoy krista marie's character in lane though no i think she's great i think she's really funny um and very I, I I always love interactions because we're we're really dealing with three worlds, right? We're dealing with executives, we're dealing with the actors, and we're dealing with the writers' room. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they interact is where a lot of the jokes come from. I love it when she introduces herself and they're like kind of dismissive, and she's like, "No, I'm the executive," and they're all like, "Oh, hi!" Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That happens. That happens. Yes. Also, because they're like, "Oh, you're too young to be anyone." <laughs> Jillian <laughs> yeah, so. looks young. I mean, I'm she glad. Like you, Again, like you glad mentioned, she's just, playing someone yeah. nearer her age and not a 16 year old high school student mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but I mean, she could still pull off 16 year old high school student. The Riverdale kids, like, are oh. like they all look 30 something, which is totally fine if they're going to be that naked. So yeah. that is very <laughs> true. You make very good points, huh? Yeah, um, I, but- I agree with you. I I see where they're going with that relationship, and I don't know if I like it. I don't know. I, I don't know I who it wants it. Out. I hope it peters out. Really, yeah. And they just become friends because the thing is, they have not stepped him up. I He is a joke in the show. And so I cannot see him being uh, yeah. interesting right. at all. So uh, I yeah. do love his mom, though. Yeah. No, she's great. She's, she's hilarious. Uh, do you child- relate? Just is that why? <laughs> I just like how she's like, you know, everyone thinks she's, she's like, no, I just want to fuck. Yeah. Like, oh, mom. Yeah. Ooh, okay. I mean, she got Johnny Knoxville's respect. So <laughs> who knew? But yeah, I, I, I see again, though, it's like humanizing a character in an unexpected way that I actually really appreciated. Yes. Yeah. The other thing I like is that each episode is based on uh, the episode title is a TV show title. So we have New Girl, Growing Pains, Girlfriends, What We Do in the Shadows, and we just watch Bewitched. So the next one is yeah. Baskets, and I don't. I wonder what the finale will be. Love the naming convention. It's fun. Yes. yes. <sighs> okay. Very clever. Very yeah. Meta. Yeah. So if you like TV, we <laughs> I think we would recommend you check it out. <laughs> yeah. I guess um, our final thoughts is Reboot. Good pop. Yes. 
Yes. Very good. Let's uh, let's keep uh, let's keep comedies going. Keep comedy keep, funny. <laughs> let's keep culturally specific like comedies going. Also, like seriously, this is an amazing cast. Like, yes, I really like it when they cast good actors. Yeah, well, the Which, poppiest of the pop. Like, um, because when you think about Rachel Bloom, what she did with Crazy Ex Girlfriend was very also meta and very smart, and so. The fact that she's also a good actress and good creator, like, made me feel uh, good about the show before I even saw it. Lots of good talent on the show. I will always be thankful to Rachel Bloom for putting West Covina and SGV on the map. (laughs) Yes. She got the uh, area code wrong, though. and That's that's a little tough, but... (laughs) No, Han, you don't understand. Yes, it's but, a big deal. But she did bring some Asians in. So yeah. she did bring Asians. We got Josh Chan. Um, and and the line, all the El Montes are here, which I am <laughs> I love that. That's like probably my favorite line it, from it definitely could have been more Asian. I do agree there, but you know, it was it was a good start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also think this is good pop. Um, like I mentioned, it's a really funny show and it really um I don't know. I think I forgot how much I missed just laughing on a show because I've been watching shows like Andor and me. Like, you, know. <laughs> yeah, you watch a lot of like shows about like children's soldiers, like um, <laughs> like war, like mechas, like mass destruction. I'm like, just watch a fun show, Marvin. It's, it's also pleasant not to have to read the screen too much. So I can like, you know, go and get a drink and not pause it and still not miss a yeah. joke because it's a very talky show, too. Yeah. All right. Reboot is streaming now weekly on Hulu. Episode six just came out this week. So there's two more episodes before the season finale. Uh, but yeah, check it out. Um, hopefully, do we know if it has a second season yet? I feel like streaming is just so like, so up in the air these days, right? It's so hard to figure out what's going on. Yeah, those, there's no word yet. So. Yeah, but uh, yeah, check it out. Um, and on that note, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Just Hannah, people want to find out more of your thoughts. Where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at Just You Tweets. And I am at Anonymous. You can find me on Twitter at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about She-Hulk, which just finished its first season. And um, yeah, looking forward to um, seeing what the MCU has to offer now. Hopefully, hopefully they won't disappoint. Run by women. You know, all the Marvel shows run by women pretty good. <laughs> all right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. Peace.